Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I uh, I don't come to an issue like this very lightly at all, especially not just given the implications it has for society in general, but what are the particular implications it has for me? What are the precedents being set by this type of action? And uh, that's really where my studies actually begin, is how do the organized, well-financed groups that start these things perpetuate them and propagate them and actually bring them into reality, as we see. Many people, I would say in this area, certainly did not see this coming, and I absolutely did for many years I saw this coming. It was clear as day, and I think the main reason people did not see this coming is because they live in their own bubble and only watch media or consume the ideas that they're comfortable with. Now, you have to take a step back and understand that when you are engaging with people, not random people, I'm talking about people who are actively involved in this type of thing, uh, I call it the core four. Smart, talented, passionate, and hardworking. Now, all four of those things sound positive into and of themselves. However, without a moral compass to guide where that energy goes, smart, talented, passionate, hardworking people could be on the very side of something that you find appalling and horrifying and you need to take stock of that and you need to decide to what level am I going to be personally involved in stopping that bullshit from happening and living in DC allowed me to see a lot of these things operate out of out up just out in the open a lot of it happens in bars with people drinking and just meeting each other and saying hey we feel the same way about this particular issue. Let's find a way to make it happen. The real term is called lawfare. Basically, in taking the principles of how you win a war and bringing them into the U.S. legal system and finding weaknesses to probe and prod and methodically, incrementally push your agenda forward. January 22, 1973 is when Roe v. Wade was established. This allowed women the right to choose whether or not to have an abortion nationally and it was legally protected up to that point it wasn't protected everywhere there were absolutely discriminatory practices against people who basically did not look like me uh, share my skin tone and just appalling things that had to happen on the side because in real life people do get together and do have relations and it just happens. It just does happen because that's the natural course of life, no matter what your political persuasion is. These actions that we saw the past few months, where in the Supreme Court Roe v. Wade was overturned, that was the spark was set with Roe v. Wade being established. The real establishment of the U.S religious right, being actively involved in politics, was set forth by the Roe v. Wade decision. It's where all the money started organizing around. It was the principle by which people would identify themselves as being a Christian or not. It's foundationally meant you are either for 
this genocide, which is what they refer to it as, abortion is genocide. If your mindset is exactly that is what it is, then of course you're going to work against that. If you view it under the liberal interpretation, it is a medical decision, essentially. And with Roe v. Wade, it legally means that rights are being taken away. Above anything else, that is really what you should be concerned with. Sorry, I'm talking a lot. Go ahead, Dave. I have a master's in Middle East studies. Fire Protection Administration. Well, being a Jew, certainly I always had a certain perspective and focus on the Middle East. Uh, that certainly came much from my uh, mother's side of the family, just everyone talking about this and that, understanding what it meant to be Jewish, understanding history of and the cultural aspects. And honestly, the part that really didn't, it wasn't that it resonated more, but it has had a more profound effect, is the incredible, ubiquitous nature of anti-Semitism. Uh, it is everywhere, and the more scary part to me is not the people who go around screaming, I hate Jews, I want to kill Jews. The more, <laughs> I don't know if it's important, but the part that bothers me more is the people who are willfully ignorant and choose to do nothing about it. And that's a much broader <laughs> percentage of the population. It's just not in their wheelhouse. It's an accepted, bigoted uh, ancient hatred that keeps getting recycled and remarketed and reformatted to fit anyone's self-serving view. And that view is also in D.C. I saw it firsthand. And I guess I have a little bit of my grandfather's camouflage in that I look the way that I do, but I actually am a Jew. So many people would talk to me and say certain things to me that had absolutely uh, <laughs> reprehensible connotations, and they had no idea I was a Jew, and they would just keep going. And years ago, I, I would usually just, I would get right in people's faces. Like, there are a few things in life where I, nope, not gonna, not gonna have it, not gonna take it. If I hear it, I'm confronting you. I don't really do that anymore, Mostly because way more people are heavily medicated and probably armed. And it's too many people. I could spend my entire life dedicating just to trying to get less anti-Semitism to be in the world. And I would be a spectacular failure. And I'm good at it. I am really good at it. I have a track record of convincing people to drop their anti-Semitic bullshit. But... It's always like this. It's two people really talking and them getting to understand my perspective. And I just kind of undermine and chew away at their arguments because they're always fabricated self-serving bullshit. But that's the problem. Anti-Semitism and the reason it works is it always befits the user of the anti-Semitism to have an easy target to blame. Yes, exactly.
I went to Ben Gurion University in Beersheba, in the middle of the Negev Desert in Israel. I was an unofficial lobbyist, so usually you need to register as a, someone who will be representing people who may or may not live in the United States. Most of the people I was unofficially representing were residents of both the United States and Afghanistan. I was helping develop and coordinate different construction projects that could happen, and a few of them did, but uh, ultimately the, f the unbelievably fractured politics of Afghanistan kind of blew everything up. And really the opium economy kind of supersedes everything else going on. It does. It does. The opium economy in Afghanistan, it's not just about being the end product, being able to sell heroin in the United States and Europe. It's about the entire product of the opium plant. They actually use it to build houses. They use it to make bricks. They use it uh, as part of fertilizer, so it's it's integrated into how their society and culture functions, especially in the southeast Helmand province. And they didn't want to give it up. And if they had to give it up, they wanted to be bribed with something else that would be just as profitable. And the only viable alternative to opium in the area was saffron. I don't know if you're aware that saffron sells. It's incredibly, uh, if you can produce it at a certain way, you can sell it for quite a bit. Just pretty much just about the same as opium. Problem with getting opium into and out of Afghanistan is Afghanistan's landlocked, and Pakistan uses their leverage with uh, basically trucking mafias to take a cut of the business in order to get all the opium from Afghanistan down to the ports in Karachi. And, uh, it's a pretty dirty business. Uh, Local Afghan politicians are directly tied to and involved in all the narco-trafficking operations that go through that area. Uh, former warlords involved in the war against the Soviets in the 80s. Most of them were <laughs> drug traffickers before they were warlords. So it's un unintended consequences, which is actually kind of the opposite of Roe v. Wade, where... Something happened, and people just didn't want to see that everyone who was outraged by the passing of Roe v. Wade coordinated all kinds of financial resources, got their marketing strategy together, got smart, talented, passionate, hardworking people on their side and said, we want to change this however possible, in whatever way possible. We are so against this all the while camouflaging out and screening away the idea that it is a completely anti-woman measure. And I think you should speak to that more than me. that small, dedicated, well-financed minorities absolutely do drive change in every society, not just in the Middle East, not just in countries that have fractured politics. It happens right here. 
And I think it comes back to ignorance. I mean, the names are out there. A lot of what I end up doing is simple, basic, straightforward, focused research on where did a problem come from. And the introduction of far-right religious ideology specific to controlling women's bodies and being involved directly in politics while at the same time saying, no, we want a strict separation of church and state. It's a very, it's kind of playing both sides and in a, the exact way an evil empire would. And it almost comes across as cartoonish, but it's, it's profound in its implications. And if you really wanted to trace the modern history of this, it comes from a Norwegian minister, a Methodist minister named Abraham Veridi. He formed a group called the International Religious uh, Council. And his ultimate goal was to infuse all Western nations with a Christian ideology into their political parties and find ways to exercise influence through those parties through a broad range of networks. Some of you may have heard of the National Prayer Breakfast, something uh, assembled uh, by the disciple of Abraham Brady, a guy named Douglas Coe, who operates much more in the shadows than, say, someone like Billy Graham, who everyone's heard of. Everyone knows Billy Graham, evangelical minister, uh, provided religious guidance to every single American president for almost five decades. His son still actively preaches. Uh, Douglas Coe prefers to take a different route. He prefers you not know his name. The name of his group, um, amazingly, is called The Fellowship. And that is not lost on me that he views what he is doing with some kind of divine influence and divine path. That he thinks he is doing God's work by helping structure layers of relationships and influence that guide the decisions that he wants to have happen go in that direction. And the National Prayer Breakfast is the main platform that he uses. He invites people that he wants to influence their decisions on. And it ends up being not only a business meeting, but an avenue to discuss ways to get laws passed that wouldn't pass muster, wouldn't be popularly perceived. Even now, in this country right now, most people do want choice for abortion. And he's been able to enact policy and find people who will vote a certain way and structure so that judges can only vote a certain way because sometimes judges need to get raised money in order to get elected, which I think is profound and ridiculous. We also have the Supreme Court justices that have recently been uh, appointed. Every single one who leans right, every single one, let me repeat that, every single one committed perjury by saying no Roe v. Wade is settled law and will not change under my watch. <laughs> Three months ago, changed under their watch. Every single one of them was lying under oath. Uh, in order to be confirmed as the Supreme Court Justice, you have to go through a confirmation process. There's certain things that are made public about your past, and you have to answer very basic questions from uh, the Judiciary Committee on what your actual views are on settled cases and things that would be profound uh, for society in general, because the Supreme Court is the court of the land and does set precedent, which other courts need to follow. That's why this matters so much. The people who are dedicated to eliminating the woman's right to choose are into and of themselves exercising their power in a democracy through undemocratic means. They wish to exercise power through lies, through deception, not through the ballot box, not through voting. They wish to place people in power who read their script the way they read it, and the way they want it. And the exercise of power is ultimately how I see this, and perhaps my not being a female allows me to see it that way. But structurally, this was a power move. It was a direct message saying, yes, 
not only are we going to push the rest of our nonsense agenda, we're also going to go inside women's bodies and say we also control this too. I'm not okay with that. Doug Coe. The voice against him is much louder coming from you than it ever could be coming from me because he's just going to say, oh, you're just some silly Jew. <laughs> you were telling me and describing how it is even more of a profound impact on African-American families given their lower general socioeconomic status.
Well, given that these uh, procedures almost always cost money, sometimes there are subsidized groups inside Planned Parenthood that do provide funding for it. But overall, you still need to be able to get to a place that actually will provide the procedure. And there has been a methodical, incremental strategy uh, implemented to great effect by the Republican Party to essentially outlaw the existence of any clinic that will provide this procedure. Uh, they've been able to exploit ADA laws, which require certain expansive hallways uh, for medical procedures, and been able to get abortion clinics closed just for that reason alone. And uh, it's that type of measure that they're willing to take. The other part of this that we're not really talking about is the explosive nature of social media and propagating other ideas about abortion that have nothing to do with what abortion is. It's simply a decision and a medical procedure. Uh, we were watching uh, The Boys on Amazon Prime, and there's this character that they introduced called Stormfront, and I thought it was remarkably clever how they played her and some of the lines that she was saying towards the, uh, the end of her character arc. Spoiler alert, she uh, did not end up faring well. I'm not saying she's dead, but... Uh, anyways, uh, I actually remember watching a certain episode with you and you laughing at about a paragraph of dialogue. And I realized, oh, these are things I've heard before. But to you, you had never heard such outrageously silly nonsense like white genocide. <laughs> <laughs> Watch the show. They're fringe. The, uh, the idea that we could possibly be comparing the enormous growth of the quote-unquote right-wing Christian national patriot movement to a silly group of college-age kids throwing Molotov cocktails in Antifa, it is not a fair comparison to make. They are both fringe groups. However, on the right, the fringe perhaps needs to be taken out of it as there is a far wider acceptance of that type of ideology than many of us would like to admit. Uh, it is convenient and authoritative and is able to provide reasons for why your life perhaps isn't the way you want it, a direct target for the people who are keeping you from what you are looking to achieve, and the requisite reason behind taking whatever actions you need to take in order to preserve your own identity, the identity they provide for you, and uh, your future livelihood. And I don't know how well-versed you are in uh, KKK ideology, but most of the neo-Nazi KKK groups in the United States have something called the uh, 
I think it's the 14 words where it's just, we must preserve a future for our white children, some, some kind of nonsense like that. But the white genocide thing is really about abortion. It's not just about immigrant groups or whoever isn't white coming to kill white people. It's directly about abortion and about assumptions being made that any non-white person is having much more kids than white families will, and that any white children, any white child that is ever killed via abortion is a demographic problem. That's what white genocide really is about. That's why they're against it. Because it's easy racism. It's the number one way. It's not a new idea. It's been used for a very long time. And uh, Jews are all too familiar with having to navigate that spectrum of universal hate. I, I would say it would be hard to argue that Jews are not the most hated people on earth. And I say that with pretty much no reservations whatsoever. And I think people should take that into account. Why is that that hating Jews is so accepted? Mm. I wish there would be more self-reflection, but as you pointed out, it's like snack food. It's easy and convenient. It satiates what you need to satiate. Sometimes the urge to eat candy in order to satisfy hunger is the exact same as the need to cast blame. Evil has e religious connotations. I actually think it's, it would be incumbent upon me, maybe I'm being too self-reflective about this, but using the word evil specifically has religious connotations. If you're able to cast someone or something as evil, the actions you take against it or to stop it are essentially uh, a blank check. Totally blank cab. You can justify anything. progress isn't always a straight line or a, uh, a seen pathway. I think Martin Luther King said the moral arc of the universe always bends towards what's right. 
And much as I don't like to uh, disagree with them, I think dedicated people who want morality in society have to be involved. You can't expect things to just work out. And uh, that's the problem. Apathy, thinking you can't make a change or assuming that things will go the way that you want them to and not really taking into account all these people you probably cast as, oh, they're just lunatics or I just disagree with them and then leave it at that. No, they are coming for your rights. They are coming for you and they care more about the rights of guns than they do about the rights of women. Oh, expect it. Bedside manner is incredible.
Imagine not even being able to have that be a choice. They wouldn't provide one for you? Oh. That is news to me. I thought the military had to provide certain procedures. Wow.
don't understand what they mean to say to them. So the way that we're in the start of this is not the two thousand So a lot of these support groups were started with frustrated from the special Not a small man. I, uh, in listening to you, I was formulating a question, which, in actually thinking about it, I realized was not really fair. Here's what I originally was going to ask you. How do you feel about there being different rules for different women across the country? But, as a black woman, I'm sure you're all too familiar with there being different rules and regulations, just as a black woman living in America. But really, I'd like to ask you both. Do you feel privileged living in a blue state where this option is available to you, as opposed to living in Texas where they can now bounty up and turn you in like you're a criminal? And you'll be fined money and publicly shown to be doing it. I mean, is is that okay with you? That's really the essence and thesis of all of this. You have to be willing to protect what you value. It is not permanent, and it can go away. How about Arizona, where now there's roving right-wing militias patrolling voting booths? You comfortable with that? People with arms just standing in line. Oh, how are you voting? The same people, they're a nod in every state. The same people who are doing this voter intimidation bullshit are also aligned with the people who are taking away your right to choose. Don't forget that. They're linked. Same group, same party, won't always admit affiliations, but they are linked. It's like Trump saying he doesn't know who the Oath Keepers are. He's full of shit. That same line comes up, it's if your rights can taken away, were they rights? Or did they ever exist in the first place? Or were they privileges that we assumed would always be there?
snapshot, whatever you like. <laughs> you're, you're, so you're not okay with the bounty system. It's a lack of understanding about how the real world works. It's the universality of saying no abortion, no excuses, under no circumstances can you have it. And that simply isn't the real world. Real world does involve things that you don't want to talk about, like rape, like incest, like forced sex in any fashion, in any way. And to... Yeah. Sexual slavery, yeah, absolutely. In Ohio, yeah. Eleven years old. Let's not gloss over that. Eleven. It's beyond comprehension that there are no caveats at all. And I genuinely, even though there are fewer and fewer, do respect the pro-lifers who believe abortion should mostly be rare but legal and include those caveats where you do allow it you just don't like it being a regular thing which i can kind of understand that point of view i do but the 100 percent no that you're not living in the real world that's just you have blinders on like a horse just going forward and you don't want to see anything else. It doesn't exist to you. It doesn't matter to you. And if you're confronted with it, you'll either deny it or look to discredit it or look to destroy it. It isn't that it doesn't happen, and I uh, clearly don't like that either. Uh, but that, that is a fringe thing. That is not the majority of women are not having sex and having an abortions and having sex and having abortions, just having that as their normal. That's not what any woman I know is doing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
That's where it's a step too far. Well, you were. I'd like to swing back to something you brought up earlier, which really that's a natural segue to. You were asking why is it that women are always at the center of these things? In being able to study another culture in another region, I was able to more closely examine the United States culture and society. And really the driving force behind most socio-cultural changes in most societies especially in the 20th century and the 21st century, it's all driven by women. And I think that scares the powers that be in the traditional power bases in most society. And just simply having a frank discussion about women's health and women's place in public places. This is a much more profound thing in the Middle East where women either have to wear a keffiyeh or some kind of shemag or either a face covering or a head covering because of some vague description in the Quran pertaining to uh, women being uh, kind of subdued and not attracting attention to themselves and that they because it was written in such a vague way it was it allowed for any interpretation based on local customs and concepts of what they really wanted that to be so that a head covering in the Balkans per se would probably come halfway up your head 
but you can still see someone's face. In a place like Saudi Arabia, much of the women are completely covered without an eye slit. That's a demonstration of power by saying you are not really to be seen in a public place. Nor do we want to hear you, really, but we definitely don't want to see you. There's a certain privilege that we need to acknowledge in the United States that no one is pronouncing or saying that to women. We are saying we want to take away your rights as a personal choice, kind of in a, not a libertarian party, but a libertarian choice. Having an abortion means I'm taking personal responsibility for my medical decisions and my health and my being. I don't want the government involved, which is an interesting thing for predominantly Republican base to be promoting. We don't want women to make their own choices about their bodies, but we also don't want the government involved in anything we're doing. And it's a, a remarkable caveat that they include for themselves based on the own agenda they're looking to promote. Um, it is women. I think that's really what it is about. Women do drive change. Women are the ones who basically say, there's got to be some new things going on here, and some women are much louder about it, maybe don't always take the approach that may get them the result they want because they're not really presenting the subject in the right manner to the audience that they're looking to communicate it to. And, but their message might be right. They may be on the right side of history. They're just marketed in a very different way by those who don't agree with their agenda. In Iran, uh, this has to do with the murder of a lady named Masa Amini. Uh, she apparently was not covering her head enough. Uh, it is not to the same degree as they do in Saudi Arabia, where the Wahhabis demand that it's just an eye slit, or in Afghanistan, where it's kind of a beekeeper, like they just have their eyes. In Iran, women are usually allowed to just have their forehead showing, and she had it kind of halfway up. And the morality police, something that I'm sure <laughs> the modern Republican Party would like to have in the United States, uh, roving gangs of men go around basically beating people who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing according to the way they think they should be done. And she refused to change her headscarf, and they arrested her, tied her up in a chair, and basically beat her to death in, in uh, the police station. And uh, that got out. And naturally, people are pissed because imagine having a daughter and that's what happens. She wasn't committing a crime. She was just walking around and had more hair showing than you liked. And we have to be prepared to not only call this stuff out, but actively support the people who want a little bit more sane policy in their public life. To be living under the regime, which is protected by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, a paramilitary group that uh, does a lot of shady shit, but we won't get into that. But really, they're the power behind the morality police, and they're the ones who dictate terms on a societal level, and uh, they're not really subject to normal laws. They kind of do what they want, operate as a mafia, fundraise, and involved in all kinds of things. But uh, yeah, if you want change in Iran, not only support the people who are protesting, but call for the United States uh, Department of the Treasury to start investigating all the different places around the world that the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps money launders and go after their partners and go after the banks where they hide their money and go after any affiliates that they have. makes a difference.
Yeah, uh, thanks everyone. We also uh, would very much like to encourage you to get out there and vote. And in general, show up for things that you care about. Tweeting and posting means fuck all. Show up, vote, and show up to support those who need your help. <laughs>